Now I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6, is where I'd like to direct your attention. I'm going to read from Matthew 6 as we begin. Matthew 6, verses 1 through, uh, 19 through 34. Excuse me, Matthew 6, 19 through 34. So if you have a copy of God's Word, that'd be a great place to turn or scroll, whichever you do, to Matthew 19. Matthew 6, 19. If I get the verses right, we'll be in good shape. Matthew 6, 19, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is, will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore... I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I confess I come to these verses with a little trepidation this morning. I have trepidation on the one hand because this is such a familiar passage. And every preacher who picks up this text asks himself, how can I talk about these familiar truths in a fresh way? That's one reason to be concerned. It's not my biggest one. I'm actually more concerned about the topics that Jesus speaks about here. This is a passage about money and about worry. Now, if you've been around here for long enough, you know what I always say when we talk about money, when we come to a passage where the Bible talks about money. It's a line from a preacher that I borrowed many years ago. Here's what it is. At our church, we care more about your heart than about your wallet. About money. Uh, but now, this is the uh, great time for me to talk about money. We are in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, we are in the middle of a construction project, and yet we're paying all of our bills, and we're supporting all of our missionaries. In fact, we sent some extra money to a couple of our outreach partners who had some special needs. This is a very generous congregation. So this morning I'm talking to you about money without any sort of desperation at all. There will be no second offering. So 
don't worry about that. But Jesus doesn't talk just about money, though. Here he talks about worry, too, which can be a very tender topic. I know when I talk about worry and its accompanying anxiety, some of you in this room would testify to just living with a paralyzing sense of fear. What ifs? run through your mind. They race through your mind all the time, and you can't seem to beat them back. You know, the what ifs. What if I lose my job? Or what if there's an accident? Or what if I can't get pregnant? Or what if I do get pregnant and there's something wrong? Or what if I, my spouse dies? What if my child gets sick? What if I never get married? What if I get cancer? And on and on and on the list goes. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And your mind is endlessly creative in conjuring up these terrible scenarios, and you can't shut them off. The National Institute of Mental Health said that anxiety has now become the most common mental health challenges, uh, challenge on college campuses. Used to be depression. Anxiety has overcome depression. 38% of teenage girls, 26% of teenage boys, have some sort of anxiety disorder. You don't need to have an anxiety disorder to understand what worry feels like. I want to show you from this passage this morning that Jesus spoke these words that he did to set us free from burdens. He is not speaking here to pile more guilt upon you. He is speaking these words to relieve burdens. There is tenderness in this passage as he's speaking, seeking to do heart surgery in the lives of his followers. You know that worry is a burden. That's not hard to, to uh, speak. So when I say that Jesus wants to relieve burdens, yes, the burden of worry, we don't feel that. But I wonder if you've thought about the burden of wealth or actually the burden of the inordinate love of wealth. It's a burden. Think about it. What's money for? What is money supposed to do? Well, an economist would tell us that money uh, how, uh, leads to the efficient exchange of goods and services. You have skills that you sell, and someone gives you money for those skills. And you have things that you need, and you give that money in exchange for the things that you need. Money is just an efficient way to exchange goods and services. But a lot of people treat money as if it's supposed to do more than that. As if money is to give you security and safety, and if you have enough money, you'll be safe. Or money is supposed to make you important. If you have more money than your peers, then you're more important than they are. Or money is supposed to make you comfortable. It's supposed to make you happy. It's supposed to give you a satisfying life. Ask lottery winners in the United States, and they will tell you, if you are not happy without a million dollars, you will not be happy with a million dollars. So people ask money to do what money cannot do, and when you trust money that much, uh, you will lead a life of discontentment and a life of insecurity and a life of, of uh, comparison. These are the burdens from which God in his kindness would set you free. Now, Jesus always tells us the truth, so there's bad news in this passage. You should know that, right? Bad news for you who love money and you who worry. Huh? Loving money and worrying are sins. You're a sinner. 
you can see that you're an idolater, verse 24. You can't serve both God and money. You love money inordinately. You're a sinner. You're an idolater. And worry, well, Jesus commands us. Here's the command, verse 25. Do not worry. We stand condemned by this passage. You're a loving, money, loving, worrying sinner, which is easy for me to say. That's the bad news, but the good news is, the good news is that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. People like you who love money and worry all the time. Jesus saves from sin. Not only that, he's a shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep, but he's a shepherd who leads us. And he speaks these words to his people because he knew there would be people who would be his members of Grace Baptist Church of Millersville, sheep in his flock, who would need this help, who would need these kind, tender words from the Lord Jesus. So I invite you this morning to let's together find grace and mercy to help us in this time of need. We who love money and we who worry. This morning, I want to organize our thoughts as we walk through this passage around this freedom. And we're going to talk, first of all, about the fact that Jesus sets us free from the love of money. Jesus sets us free from the love of money. There are, in verses 19 through 24, some specific troubles related to money that the Lord Jesus would like to set you free from. First of all, he would like to set you free from shoddy investments. From shoddy investments. So verses 19 and 20 and 21, the Lord Jesus talks about two different types of treasures. There are earthly treasures and there are heavenly treasures. Earthly treasures are material things, things you can uh, accumulate to yourself and that you can touch. Well, most often in Jesus' day, there were definitely things you could touch. Fabric, expensive clothing, or precious metals. We might touch stock certificates today, or you might be able to log in to get your earthly treasures, things. The problem with earthly treasures, Jesus says, is they're subject to decay or subject to theft, moths, rust, vermin, thieves. So there's earthly treasures. Then there's heavenly treasures. Now, what is he talking about when he says treasures in heaven? Jesus uses this phrase again later in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, in a conversation he has with a young man that we call the rich young ruler. I don't know if he's single or not, but if he's single, he's the most eligible bachelor in the gospel of Matthew. And he comes to Jesus and he wants some assurance about his eternal security, so he asks Jesus how he can know for sure he's going to go to heaven. And Jesus probes a little bit this man. He's just asking some questions. Tell me about the commandments of God and how you respond to them. And he says, oh, ho, 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 I keep them. I've kept them my whole life. I know all of them, and I've kept them all. He's rich. He's young. He's a ruler. He's upright. If you meet this man, bring him home to your mother. She'll be thrilled. But Jesus smells something rotten. And he takes the lid off the trash can that is this man's heart by asking him this question or giving him this command. He says in Matthew 19, 21, if you want to be perfect, he already thinks he is perfect, this rich young ruler. If you want to be perfect, 
Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You know the end of the story. The man bowed his head, walked away sad, because he loved his wealth. Jesus, though, offers him treasures in heaven. What's a treasure in heaven? A treasure in heaven is what you accumulate when you use the resources you have to help others. When you give, what you give away to help other people is not lost to you. It's not gone from your life. It is rather invested in a different portfolio, a heavenly portfolio. Of the money that comes into your possession, you can use it for here and now for yourself, or you can use it for the sake of others. Let's just imagine here that your boss decides to start paying you in cash. I bet most of you get direct deposited income. Let's imagine your boss starts to pay you in cash. So at the end of the week or the end of every other week, you walk into her office and she gives you a pile of $5 bills. You bring the $5 bills home and you put them on your kitchen table and you're going you're gonna to allocate this money to the certain needs that you have. So here's a pile on this side of the table. You're going to put the money that you need to live to buy food and to buy clothes and to shelter and uh, school and uh, braces and uh, things. God gave you the strength to earn that money so that you can meet the needs that you have. And we give thanks to him for it. And, and he said, use the money you make to meet your needs. If you don't meet the needs of the people that God has entrusted into your care, you are worse, Paul says, than an unbeliever. So some of that money... A lot of that money's got to go into this pile to pay for things, gas and insurance and all that stuff. Then there's another pile, though, and, and that pile is heavenly investments, money that you're going to give away that is going to be treasure in heaven. And the temptation is going to be because you want money to do for you what it should not do or what it can't do to put more money in this pile than belongs there, and less money here. It's not a matter of how much money you start with either. Both rich and poor people have to make these decisions about what's going to go where and where you're going to invest what you have. Reminds me of the little boy who uh, had two quarters. He was on his way to church, and he had two quarters in his hand, and he, uh, with one quarter, he was going to put one quarter in the offering plate, and one quarter after church, he was going to go buy some candy, some everlasting gobstoppers. And as he's walking to church, he steps over a curb, trips on the curb, one of those quarters falls out and goes down into the sewer grate and is gone, and he turns to heaven and he says, God, your quarter is lost. What are you going to do with the money that God entrusted into your hand? There's a verse that sticks in my mind. Jesus apparently preached this sermon. Uh, uh, he used lines from the sermon in another place. Luke recorded for us in Luke 12. This sticks in my mind, this verse, and it sticks in my mind when I'm online reading a review of some technological gadget that I want to buy. Or when I'm walking through the mall, this verse comes to my mind. Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no, mouth, no moth destroys. I like to plan my purchases 
and think about what I'm going to buy. Jesus says I ought to be thinking about what I'm going to sell. Why did, why did Jesus and I have such a different understanding of what I'm supposed to do with the things that I own and the money that I have? Treasures in heaven. This is the most spiritually safe strategy you can have because verse 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart is the center of your life. It's where your desires come from, your thoughts, your feelings in the Bible. That's what the, how the Bible uses the word heart. And your heart follows your money. So if you want to change your heart, change what you do with your money. If you want to care more about missions, give more money to missions. If you want to care more about global orphans, give more money to global orphans. If you want to, get, if you want to care more about drug rehab programs in Lancaster City, give more money to drug rehab programs in Lancaster City, and your heart will follow. Haddon Robinson tells the story of a woman who owned a cat. Actually, she didn't own the cat. The cat owned her. She loved this cat. She spoiled this cat. She did, uh, uh, spent so much money and time on this cat. Uh, she loved it. Her husband hated the cat, absolutely hated the cat. This story has a dark turn. I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell it anyway. So she uh, decided to go away for the weekend. She was away, couldn't take the cat with her, but her husband said, don't worry, I will take care of the cat, and he did. He took the cat, don't do this, took the cat, put it in a bag, put a brick in the bag, and threw the cat into the Hudson River. She came home. She was devastated. The cat was gone. Where's the cat? Cat ran away. Don't know where the cat is. She was devastated. So the husband said, I know you're really... $100 reward for anybody who returns information about this cat. So they took, took a picture of the cat, $500 reward, posted signs all over the neighborhood. You know what happened. Nothing. Nobody called. Two weeks later, she's still upset about the cat. He says, we'll raise the reward, $1,000. We'll put up $1,000 for the return of this cat. He made posters, hung the posters all over the place. And a friend of him saw him hanging the posters and said, $1,000. I mean, I know people love their pets, but $1,000, that's an awful lot of money for a, a, a pet. And he said, when you know what I know, you can afford to be generous. When you know what you know about treasures in heaven, you can afford to be generous. It's not money that's lost. It's money that's invested where no thief can steal, no moth can destroy. So Jesus comes to save us. He speaks to save us from shoddy investments. Secondly, he saves us from spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness. Verses 22 and 23 are a bit odd. They're uh, difficult to interpret. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That's hard to figure out. Think about it instead of, uh, instead of lamp. Think about it in terms of window and a house. If a window is clean, uh, then a lot of light comes into that house and lights up the inside of the house. If a window is dirty, not so much light comes in. Jesus says, if your eye is only looking on earthly treasures, it does not let a lot of light into your life, and there will be darkness in your life, darkness you don't recognize. If all you see is earthly treasures, your life will be darker than you think. 
that rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus because he loved his money. There was darkness in him that he did not recognize. He was ready to defend his righteousness, but there was darkness. What he thought was light in his life was actually darkness. How great is that darkness? Spiritual darkness. Jesus saves us third here from split loyalties. Split loyalties. Verse 24 Verse 24 is not about your employer. You can have two employers. Some of you have two jobs and you have two employers. This is about slave relationships and you can't have two masters. Jesus speaks in stark terms. Hate, love, uh, uh, despising, and devotion. Uh, You can serve God and money. And Jesus here, because he has all authority, demands wholehearted, undivided attention. You can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. And money is a wonderful servant and a terrible master. And Jesus would set you free from that love of money. Now, the love of money is not Jesus' only concern, though, in this passage. The second thing that this passage tells us is that Jesus sets us free from worry. Jesus sets us free from worry. This may be the most significant spiritual struggle that you have. Some people in the room, you think about your spiritual, when Hebrews 12 talks about sin that burdens you, some of you think about anger, and some of you think about impatience, some of you think about lust, some of you think about worry. And I recognize even as I talk about these things that there are three audiences, three different types of people listening to me. On the one hand, there are some of you who need to worry a little bit more in, in a good way. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I do not feel weak? Who's led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Some of you, I talk, read this passage about worry, and you think, I have got this. I don't worry about anything, and that's the problem because you're irresponsible, not godly. There are some things that should concern you, some things that should weigh you down in, in the right sense of the term, but in what looks like your worry-free life is actually irresponsibility. So it would be good for some of you to have a little bit more concern about things. But then, I know there's a second type of listener in the room. There's some of you who are the grand champion, prize-winning, blue-ribbon warriors. And you worry about everything. And your chief application from this sermon is going to be to start worrying about how much you worry. Because that's how you roll. That's what you're going to do. Don't nudge anybody sitting next to you. That's a sin. (laughs) Now, then, third, there's some of you, some of you, though, you're, you're in the midst of a pretty severe crisis, and you have a lot that's weighing you down. And a lot of reasons, understandable, explicable human reasons for you to be worrying. And I read these verses, and I want to explain what they say. And you're tempted to sit there and think, yes, Divinity, you don't understand what's going on in my life. And you're not walking in my shoes, and you ought to be pretty quick. You ought not to be very quick to tell me to stop worrying. 
Let me, because of that, stick as close as I can to what Jesus says in this passage. Let, let's, let's just talk about what he says about this. Uh, and, and he's trying to help you. He's trying to relieve you of this burden. Verse 25 begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, on the basis of everything that I've just said about money, about how it can't be your master but can be your servant, and on the basis of everything I just said about how uh, the love of money creates spiritual darkness and how, how um, earthly treasures vanish, in light of all that, here I am, I'm going to talk to you about worry, and Jesus here tells us six things about worry. First, he tells us that worry is distracting. Worry is distracting. Verse 25 ends... Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? If you're a follower of Jesus, God has called you to have as your highest priority God's name. This is what you're supposed to pray for, right? Hallowed be your name. May your name be revered. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Life is grand if you're a follower of Jesus. It's big. And if all you're worried about, all you think about is what you will eat or what you will drink, your life is too small. Your problem is that your worries are not too big. Your problem is that your worries are too small. And worry distracts you from the big things that the Lord Jesus has called us to. Second, we'll skip ahead to verse 27. Jesus says worry is pointless. It doesn't accomplish what you want it to accomplish. I'm not sure what you want your worry to accomplish, but it doesn't work. Verse 27 befuddles some people because Jesus uses here a unit of length, a cubit, and applies it to a unit of time, your life. This is a little bit confusing. I, it's an idiom. I think he was using just a, a figure of speech here, and then IV translates it fine. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? What, what is your worry supposed to do? What are you trying to accomplish with it? It doesn't work, Jesus says. I, I would spare you from this pointless exercise. In fact, if what we uh, believe about hypertension is true, your worry actually may reduce the hours of your life. Right? It's pointless. Third, worry is isolating. It's isolating. In verses 26 and verse 28, Jesus talks about birds and he talks about lilies. Birds that need to eat and lilies that need to look beautiful so bees come and visit them. And God feeds those hungry birds and God clothes those lilies. And Jesus' logic is, if, if God does this for birds and lilies... Won't he do it for you, his people? Years ago, before Greg Busby sang uh, His Eye is on the Sparrow one Sunday morning in church, he quoted this poem. Maybe some of you have heard it. I, I, I like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Poor human beings. I mean, the birds have God. We got nobody, apparently. Right? 
Now, notice how uh, Jesus' worldview, how he thinks about the world and how he wants you to think about the world. Uh, my daughter Jenna is taking AP Biology this year in high school, and she came home on Monday with her syllabus, and I had to sign the syllabus. I, the responsible parent, why on the first day of school do parents get more homework than the children? I don't know, but that's the way it is. I signed my life away the first day, and the syllabus came, and I had to read it and sign it. And uh, I had to acknowledge that I had read and recognized the four principles of biology that will guide the class. Four principles for biology, and they were about uh, development and, and uh, growth and, and the things that, that, that you might expect. Here's a fifth principle that Jesus wants you to know about when you think about the world. When you look at the world, the world that God made, you're supposed to see that it is upheld and cared for by God himself. This is why it's godly to go camping, so that you look at birds and trees and flowers. It's biblical to go on a hike and look and see God feeds that bird. God cares for that tree. God put that grass there, and it's green at his command. Nobody cares about this grass, but, but God does, and look, he cares, cares for it. It's what you're supposed to see when you see the world, and worry isolates you from that truth. It sets you apart this may be the world that is all around me that God cares for, but it's not my world. It's not for me. It isolates you. Worry isolates you from that world. And Jesus would draw you in when he says, doesn't your heavenly father feed them? Your heavenly father. It's family business. Our family business, this is what our older brother Jesus told us about our father. It's a family business to take care of the world, and that includes you, your heavenly father. Worry is isolating. Next, worry is godless. It's godless. Verse 32, the pagans run after these things. The pagans run after eating and drinking and uh, clothing. Um, the pagans, they don't have a heavenly father who takes care of them. They, money has not been unmasked to them that it can't do what they want it to do. So they have to worry about these things. But you have a father to care for you. Uh, worry is godless. Worry is confining. It's confining. Worry shrinks your world. Jesus says, seek first, verse 33, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Your world is to be big. God calls you to this big world that consists of his name and his kingdom and his will. Worry shrinks it. Now, how do we apply verse 33 you might be tempted, some people over time have been tempted to think, okay, if I'm supposed to seek first his kingdom, that means I'm not going to work, I'm not going to farm, I'm not going to work to provide for myself, I'm going to seek his kingdom. That's actually not what Jesus is talking about. I know that for a number of reasons. First of all, think about birds. Birds work all day long to get food, don't they? And then uh, God made the world to demand a lot of work. God made the world so that it takes a lot of work to feed yourself. 
Um, some of you are far removed from farming. Ask a farmer, they will know how much hard work it takes to put food on a table or clothing on someone's back. That's, God made the world to work that way, to involve hard work. But Jesus' concern is about how you do that work, what you trust in when you do it, what are the reasons that you might set aside work for an afternoon, what purposes you're trying to fulfill when you work. Work for the opportunities that it gives you to serve God's purposes. That will shape the path that you turn down. Uh, it will shape the decisions that you make. I want to serve God's purposes with the work that he has given to me. I'm seeking first his kingdom. That's my number one priority, honoring him. That's not easy to remember in a 40 or 50 hour work week when you're sitting behind a computer filling out forms or standing in front of a classroom with a mask on talking about trigonomic, tr trigonomic metric functions. Or when you're uh, pounding nails or selling hammers. It's not easy to remember those things. Seek first God's kingdom, your number one priority. And then lastly, he says, worry is joyless. Worry is joyless. Tomorrow's got a lot of trouble. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. You're going to have trouble tomorrow. Maybe not a lot of it. It's Labor Day. I hope you have enjoyment planned. But you're going to have trouble this week. Minor troubles. Your tire will go flat or you'll go to the grocery store and they won't have the ingredient that you need for the recipe you want to make. You'll have trouble or major troubles. Somebody in this church in the next couple weeks is going to have a trouble that's going to land them in the hospital. You're going to have trouble. Your tomorrows are going to be filled with trouble. If you're young and healthy and strong, I have bad news for you. If you live long enough, your body will fall apart sooner than you want to. You're going to have trouble. Don't borrow tomorrow's troubles and let them ruin today's joys. That's what Jesus is saying. Trouble's coming. You don't need to bring it back to today. God will be with you then. He'll help you take care of it then. Don't ruin today's joys with tomorrow's troubles. Some of you make a practice, you're very good at this, of going to your doctor for your annual physical, and your doctor, she, he will ask you to lay out uh, flat on the table, and they will poke and prod at your body, and they stick their fingers. Uh, from the front, I'm convinced they're trying to feel your spine, right? So they'll poke down, and they'll say, does that hurt? And you say, yes, of course it hurts. There are, uh, if it hurts... There's two things that may be true. Number one, your doctor may be pushing too hard or there may be something wrong in your abdomen. There may be a problem down there. How do you read these verses, I wonder, if the words that Jesus says here hurt, either he's pressing too hard or there's something wrong. The good news is that the one speaking is the great physician who's come to make us whole. Let's talk to him now about that, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who tells us the truth. That's what he does. And he tells us the truth about our money-loving ways. And he tells us the truth about our worry. 
And Lord, we confess to you, we love money and the things that it can provide for us. There's, we're, we're inundated and surrounded by advertisements to, um, to build up earthly treasures. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your compassion that you, you unmask earthly treasures for us. And we confess to you we love money. And Lord, we confess to you that we have dishonored you by worrying about small things. Lord, we are sinners. We are thankful to you for the Lord Jesus who rescues us from sin. We, we pray as forgiven sinners that you by your spirit would transform us, that we would be able to live this life that the Lord Jesus has described for us, that we would turn from our money-loving ways and turn from our worrying ways and seek first the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your authority over us. We acknowledge that you are worthy of all of our allegiance and our obedience. So help us. Those for whom worry in particular is a tender uh, struggle. Show them mercy today, I pray. Thank you, gentle shepherd, for your kindness to us. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, Amen.